jump into it. So what's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Deck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host for the evening, Hunter, with me tonight. How you doing, Hunter? Good, good. Happy to be here. Awesome. Guys, if you don't know Hunter, um, can you pronounce your last name for me so I get it right? <laughs> Rowenfeld. Rowenfeld. Okay. Um, he's been on the podcast before. He's one of my buddies over there in Iowa. Um, got the pleasure of hunting with them for uh, preseason teal and for your guys' um, Iowa mid-zone opener. And, yep. you know, over over the hunts, we got to be a uh, pretty good bud. So, yeah. and podcasts and all that we've done. So, have you on here tonight again. And we're going to be talking all about waterfowl. So it's going to be a good one. Um, before we jump into like um, the main part of the podcast, though, we got to get some updates. Guys, uh, I got to tell you a little bit about the pup. So I got a pup story, and maybe this will be uh, a little bit fresh um, for you, Hunter, because, you know, your your pup is what, like one and a half now? Uh, no, she'll be she'll be three in November. So she's two. Oh, she'll be now. three. In, I thought she was younger than that. Okay. No, so she'll no. be three in November. Yep. But uh, I'm doing the crate training for Chief, and it's just like <laughs> he's got he's actually got pretty darn good. But for a minute there, I was getting a little bit I was getting worried um, because of uh, it just didn't seem like it was taken. He was wetting in there, um, even like times where I felt like he shouldn't. And then like the biggest concern was he uh, laid a big fat deuce in there, and he just turned around and ate it. Like as quick as you could snap your fingers. <laughs> like my my wife saw it and she told me, she said, Oh, Chief Chief uh, had an accident in the crate, he took a dump and I go running up there and like he had already scarfed it down. It was like, you know, five seconds and he just ate it. And I'm like, That is the most disgusting thing <laughs> I've ever seen a dog do. I mean just, and then okay, so this day was like like it was the worst day you can imagine for like crate chaining because um it was just, it was like he was fighting. It was like he was doing it on purpose. Like he was trying to be a little, a little turd. Like he was trying to be a little jerk. And, uh, he wet it in the, in the morning, like five in the morning. I come out there and that's like the, one of the normal times I come in there and, and let him out, clean him up, get them all in there. And like, as soon as I do that, and like, I'm already exhausted just from like, you know, over and over, get, over and over getting up in the night. Um, like we're coming off being sick too and all this. And then, um, I go and, clean all, all that up, get them back in there. I go back to sleep. No sooner than I do that, that's when my, my wife comes and gets me. And I run in there as soon as I can. Again, he's, uh, he's done that. And so I get him out, you know, trying to clean up the, clean up the crate and all that, get it, get everything how it should be, go back to sleep. She gets me up like almost immediately after that. Now he's puked it up in there. So now it's like puke turds. <laughs> In the crate. So now I got to clean up puke turds. <laughs> it's just like one thing after the other. So, oh man, I was, yeah, not happy. But so he did that twice. And luckily, this has probably been like a week and a half. Um, he is, uh, he's, I think he's over it. So um, maybe I was making him, some people I posted about him, some people thought maybe I was making him wait too long at night. Because that was when it'd be like long stretches, but some people are like, "Oh, he's just cleaning up after himself or whatever," you know, because he doesn't want to be in turds, and so he's just. <laughs> it's like, man, like what you know that doesn't, uh, yeah, whatever. But like, maybe uh, he's 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 overcome it, is what I believe. So, oh, okay. That's have you good. experienced anything like that? No, with my dog Ellie, uh, I think it took us two nights to get her crate trained. It was two nights before she was quiet all night. And I think it took us less than a week and she was totally house trained, totally crate trained. 
I think she's had one accident in the house since then. And then we had that issue, was it last summer when she ate a toy? And so like that actually caused a blockage and she had some issues mm. because of that, but that's not her fault, you know? Right. But so what no, toy it, was it? it was, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a duck, but it's like really long and skinny. It almost looked like a sock almost, honestly. And it mm. had like a crinkle on the inside of it. And for whatever reason, she just, just swallowed it and it caused a blockage yeah. in her one intestine and had to get surgery twice to get it fixed. And it was a, it's a nightmare, but right. Yeah. How much is it? Uh, can I ask how much those surgeries cost? Uh, the surgery was expensive. The actually what was worse was they had her like overnight. And of course, both times it was on a weekend. So like, there's like the extra charge for the weekend right. stuff. I think total between the two surgeries, it was like all said and done just around four or 4,500 bucks. Something like that. How much again? Forty five. Okay. Yeah, four thousand, forty five hundred. By the time like you did all the scans and everything, and the checkups and the medication and the special dog food for a month afterwards Mm. and all that. Yeah. Don't don't recommend that. That is, uh, I think that's my biggest nightmare with uh with with uh, the pup worrying about um having something like that happen, and uh um my buddy John, which you met John too, he's Mm -hmm. had the same thing with his first dog had a blockage, unsuccessful surgery, and then the dog passed away. So, mm. um, yeah. So that's like definitely one to watch out for um, with pups. And, mm, yeah, wouldn't yeah. Be, uh, wouldn't be fun at all. Yeah, and, like, that was weird about it is when she did it, she actually, like, was really excited. And I looked over just in time to be like, wow, I could have swore there's a toy there. And then as soon as I had the thought, it was gone until she started losing weight and throwing up and stuff, and then I took her in. Mm. Yeah but it's on me. So losing weight, like she wasn't eating. Yeah. Well, what happened was it like stuffed her up and then she would throw everything up as soon as she ate it. And then after Uh, about a day or two of that, you could like, you know, when you look at someone that's sick and it's like, Oh boy, you're sick. You could like tell like after like a day or two, but that was months later. Like, I think that was, I remember the toy. I like wrote it down on my calendar. Like, Hey, this is when this happened. And then I just like forgot about it. Right. I was like, Oh, whatever. They say that sometimes they pass through, you know, and I waited, it was like three or four months later when like the blockage actually happened. Yeah. It was, it was way later, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Definitely. Mm -hmm. But made through it. Nonetheless. Now that's a, that's a, yeah. (laughs) Like I said, that's my biggest nightmare watching out for that. But, um, you know, here and that's the second, you know, second person I've heard with bad, bad experiences with, with that actually third, you know, I got another buddy and now I'm thinking of it. So it's like, yeah. Um, like I really don't put a lot of toys in with the pup just because of that, you know, um, fear, but I mean, I got kids, there's stuff around and I'm always trying to make sure there's nothing he can get, but <laughs> you never know. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah. Anything else you've been working on? Lately? Oh, just all sorts of stuff between getting different blinds ready and uh the new trailer which i'm sure eventually i'll post something about that but getting the trailer ready to go and go getting everything ready for duck season trying to test stuff out see if it's going to work oh yeah awesome yeah i'm in the same boat right now we're uh me and one of my buddies hunter that's (laughs) here locally as well um we are working on a permanent blind we're putting out at one of our spots that we usually walk into the marsh either set up on on the shore 
Um, but you know how it is on those spots like that. If the birds are weary at all, they're landing in the middle. So what we've done to kind of overcome that is put A-frames out in the middle because it's, um, you know, it's knee deeper less. But the thing about that, like it works, it really does work. I don't know if you ever tried that. And it's, it's a lot different scenario than a lot of the places you have. But we'll put we'll put A-frames in knee deep water all the time and shoot ducks out of it. And then it's like, well, if you're in the middle, a lot of times you can avoid them trying to skirt the middle, you know, and, and get away from your, your blind if they're blind shy. Um, and we do pretty good. But if you've ever done that, it's like you're trying to, like, hang stuff on the A-frame. You're hanging yeah. your bags on there. Your ammo, your guns are laying across it. And it works, but it's like it could be it could be a lot more comfortable. So that's what we're going with. Uh, we're putting our permanent blind out there. We've shot birds out there for years. So it's like tried and true location, um, farm pond. It's not really a farm pond, but it's on a farm, and it's like a cattail marsh on a farm. So, mm. but it's but it's private, so um, it's it's well worth us building this blind. Um, but I can't, honestly, I can't remember if I talked about it on this podcast. I don't think so. I don't think I've talked about it yet. But it's my buddy's spot, so he's kind of calling the shots a little bit. We're building it really similar to the blind that I built in the Snake Swamp. But my buddy's idea was that we're going to build the whole thing on his driveway and then we're going to disassemble it and then we're going to drive it there and like take it in like, you know, the base. We're going to carry in the barrels. We're going to carry in the walls like one by one um, or one piece by one piece and then reassemble it. So like the nice part is like you have, you know, you have everything before you get in there, everything you need because the blind's all the way done. So we're like probably 80% of the way done. We need like one more day, just a few hours to complete it. And then from there we'll disassemble it. And the next day, try to get it all done. Maybe it'll take two more days to reassemble it and, and like marsh it, m- m- not marsh it, march, <laughs> march it through the marsh. There we go. <laughs> a little bit of a, a tongue twister there. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been working on. I don't really have as many of the off-season plans or uh, projects that I've, I feel like I've had in the past where I've um, worked on like you know boats. I feel mm-hmm. like almost every summer I've worked on a boat. This year I don't have a new boat to work on and uh i don't have um a bus i'm not doing any bus work either so i do have a bus but i don't i don't have any work on the bus right now so but you know it's mostly just uh working with a pup working on retrieving um working on calm i've just uh you know kept it pretty simple on on what we're teaching them and what we're working with them um and then i think i'll crank it here up up here soon I've i've done introduction to water with chief too or the pup too, and uh, <laughs> um, getting him in the water, and he's he's floating along, um, doing pretty good. He he jumped into it. He's ran around. You can tell he's just a little uneasy, like he's lifting his legs, kind of weird. And you know, first time really being that deep in the water. Then he swam like a champ. Uh, then the big problem I had was he stuck his head in the water and once he did that he's like he didn't know how to get it out of the water so <laughs> he's just like swing, swinging it around under the water and then he lifts it up and uh, yeah well actually he didn't lift it up I lifted it up out of the water I think he would have he might have drowned if I wasn't there probably not he probably would have figured out like in a second if I would have let him after that he was a little leery so um, I'll probably get him back in the water here you know tomorrow or the next day or sometime this week for sure just keep that mm-hmm. keep that part of his um, training rolling. So, yep. You do any dog training in the off season? 
Oh yeah. Like I was actually out with my dog today on the river. We, uh, on a sandbar that we normally goose hunt. I was out there throwing bumpers, throwing under some blinds and doing denial drills, stuff like that. What's your, what's your dog's name again? Ellie. Oh, Ellie. Yep. 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 Yeah. So I'll train like that stuff. We do like some field work too, but I'm not into the, uh, like dog training stuff like other people are. I just really want her to be able to go get the bird most of the time. Cause I'm lazy and fat. Right. Right. Find the ones that land in the thick brush, sniff it yeah. out. The important yep. stuff. And then hands, if you're like me, like hand signals would be awesome. But like, you know, it's uh not like they don't have to do that, but yeah. Yeah, the only real requirement that like I'm trying to get for this summer, like the training down, is whistle sits. I want her whistle sits to be perfect because it's be so nice to stop her if something's going on. Even like when we're out in the yard, I've like stopped her running out towards the road or something like that. I just hit the whistle and she sits down, and I think that that's like a safety thing more than right. like a a hunting thing, you know? Right. Yep. But. Yeah, I know for me, one of my biggest goals is to have a non-breaking dog this time because, Chief, I never stopped him from breaking just because in the beginning I was a little worried about his drive. He was gun-shy, all this other stuff, and he worked through it all and became like a, a really excellent uh, meat dog. But um, one thing, I, what once he learned it, you know, it was really hard to break him of breaking. So I just mm-hmm. had to tie him up, um, which worked really well in most scenarios, like when we're in – Boats like you guys have, you have a rail inside, just tie him to it, and he, you know, he figures out pretty quick. He can't get out um, until you tell him to, mm-hmm. and that's great. But then, like if I'm hunting in like a a cattail marsh, there's nothing. There's not. You can't. You can't stake him to the ground. There's nothing to tie him to. Um, you can tie to try to tie him to like a chair, or a bucket, but I just go with him, right? Or you know, yep. uh, I can sometimes get the marsh stand in there. And then time to the marsh stand. That's my only option in the marsh grass. So mm. I'd love to have a dog uh, this time around where I, I feel like that's an important one for me. Um, it goes along with what you said a little bit for that safety for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Alrighty. Well, um, let's get a quick word from our partners, then we'll jump into the main meat of the podcast. Guys, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the pre preseason mistakes that nobody knows they are making. So we got we got our list compiled. We don't know what what we both wrote down, but we we came up with a list of preseason mistakes that you guys don't know. Guaranteed you don't know you're making. So <laughs> um, but Let's go ahead and get a quick from, word from our partners. I do want to remind you guys, we are going live on YouTube every time. Um, today is Sunday that we're doing the live stream. Usually it's on Wednesdays at 9. I got guests scheduled out pretty much for the rest of preseason. Wednesdays at 9. Um, but today, impromptu, I've been sick for the last two weeks. Terrible. Like the worst earth threat I've had in my life. And so we, we didn't have the podcast. So we're getting one in here tonight. Then we'll be back on the schedule on Wednesday. But if you jump over to the YouTube channel, Duck Gun Podcast, um, and you want to see us live, that's where we'll be. So definitely jump over there. We'll be glad to see you guys over there. If not, you know, podcast is posted everywhere um, where podcasts can be found. Um, so definitely check us out. And we appreciate that. And guys, I need to see some more five star reviews. So, haven't asked for that in a while. Let's 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 get you guys jumping on that um, and let give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it from you guys. Um, actually, I did get a message on Instagram. I do want to read it as well, or maybe it was Facebook. So, 
Um, I'm going to find a, take a second to find it. I think it was on Facebook now that I'm thinking of it. So, um, so here it is. All right. Um, this one is from Jake Broski. I, I can't believe that's a real last name. So I don't know if it is or not. Um, and all right, so I'm going to read his, his message to me. He sent this to me earlier this month. Hey man, love the content. Started duck hunting two years ago, and the first season I've had no. And the first season I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah, man, I was uh, I was in the same boat as you, so I know know exactly where you're coming from. I went the whole season without getting a duck, and just learning a ton of lessons. I was fully addicted after that, and my second year I was determined not to let the ducks win like that again. I came across the Duck Gun podcast. Almost a year ago through last year's season and this this past month, I've almost gotten through every episode from the last five years. Man, that's crazy because I have 250-some episodes, so kudos to you. I'm almost embarrassed. Probably some of those early episodes were a little uh, – <laughs> I know the quality and, and a lot of that's come a long way on the podcast. But, man, the kudos to you for, for uh, listening to all that. I enjoy the topics and love the hunting recaps. Uh, it killed me listening to the podcast about losing chief. I'm sorry. F- f- I'm sorry you lost him, man. They are never here long enough, but God had other plans for him. So I, I appreciate, man. I appreciate you the, the kind words there. So he keeps on going on there. He wants to ask about ammo. Um, and he talks about that a little bit. Uh, so as far as like ammo, um, he's talking about bismuth. There's definitely a, a ton of different options out there for bismuth. Um, they've come a long way over the years. Um, you know, I've shot boss in the past. I've shot heavy shot. I've shot can't. I will tell you that bismuth is definitely um, better than steel. Now, it costs more, but um, I, mean, I think, you know, there's no doubt about it that it's actually more lethal than steel. So um, I kind of hope that helps um, you out. Maybe I'll share, like, uh, the shot size I use for bismuth is fives for for ducks and um, threes for geese. Um, if you're going with steel, uh, number two is all around is pretty good, or, or maybe number four is just for ducks. So, anyways, anyways, Jake, really appreciate the message. Uh, brought a smile on my face to hear all that, and it's uh, it's crazy to think someone would uh, find it to to watch every single or listen to every single podcast episode I put out from the last five years. So, um, awesome, awesome. All right, a quick word from partners. Uh, guys, first off, we got Onyx. Onyx is the best app for waterfowl hunters. Right there in the palm of your hand, you have all the information you need. You got public land boundaries. You got private land boundaries. You got the address of homeowners or landowners. You can go knock on the door, find out if you can get that permission. It really excels the rate that you can scout and get permission. Um, if you're doing an out-of-state trip, it's, it's just a must. Like, I, I can't imagine going to an out-of-state place without it. And at home, you know, maybe you can get away with some stuff um, just because you know a little bit about it. But um, if your competition is using Onyx, you're going to be behind the eight ball. So definitely check them out, guys, Onyx. Also, like to give a big thanks to Final Approach. Guys, Final Approach is the one-stop shop for the waterfowl hunter. They got the camo. They got the blinds. They got the decoys. They're always coming out with something new over there. And I've been running their products um, for over a year now and, um, super, super, um, great stuff they got, you know, um, from their waterfowl backpack. One of my favorite pieces that I had last year, the grid hoodie, I wore that all year long, giving me my, my base layer, um, for, for the duck hunting. So, 
Um, check them out, guys. You can you can find them over there at finalapproach.com. Um, also, like to give a big thanks to Weatherby, as Weatherby uh, has come out with a great waterfowl shotgun. It is the 18i. Um, they have I, I was shooting the 20 gauge deluxe a lot last year. Um, I love shooting a 20 gauge, and they made a heck of a one. Just from the first day, I I picked it up and shooting it shouldered and fit just right. We're out there smashing teal and dove in Iowa, and uh, yeah, I, I just uh, it was a uh, it was a match made in heaven. It was a, it was a perfect fit. So uh, definitely check them out, guys. Uh, they're ne- they're known for their rifles, but I think it's only a matter of time before they're known for their their waterfowl shotguns as well. Also, like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks, guys. Motion Ducks is a jerk rig on steroids. You guys have heard me say it so many times. Um, last year, I pretty much replaced my spinners with Motion Ducks. And I'm not saying that spinners don't have a, a time and a place. I definitely think that they do. Um, but um, the thing that, that you can't get away with is not having motion. You can get away with not having a spinner. Not saying that it's better to not have a spinner, but if you have no wind, you can't get away with no motion in your spread. Um, you got to have those lifelike ripples, lifelike motion in your spread, and Motion Ducks is uh, by far and away the best option to get that in your spread. So check them out, guys. Um, you can use the code DuckGun2020 over there. Um, you can and you can pick up the Ultimate, which is the seven duck version, or the regular, which is four. I use both. I used the four a lot last year because it's nice and compact, but you know the the bigger and the better one is probably the ultimate. Um, so check them out over there, guys. You won't regret it. All righty. Um, let's see who am I missing? <laughs> uh, guys, definitely check out the Patreon uh, over there on Patreon. I'm putting out a ton of new hunts um, that have never been seen on YouTube. Early access to them. They'll be coming out this year in August and December, so don't don't worry about that. They'll be coming out on the channel, but for those guys that have the itch, I probably have maybe 10 over there already. Um, and not only that, we're going to be doing the hunt giveaway uh, where one of the guys over from the Patreon will get to join me um, on a hunt. We'll be paying for part of that uh, and getting you guys probably, we're going to probably be meeting up with Hunter and chasing some canvas back on the Mississippi River. So um, we're definitely excited about all that. So jump over there, guys. I'm going to be picking the winner of that like next month into next month. So, um, time, the time is now to jump over there. It'll, it'll get you over that duck depression and you'll, you'll be, uh, you'll be ready to go for the drawing for the hunt giveaway. Um, alrighty, let's go ahead and jump on into the main part of the podcast. We got the preseason mistakes that nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows that they are making. Yep. All right. Yep. I'll, let you, I'll let you take it away, Hunter. I've, I've right. been talking a lot. So, <laughs> all right. I'll take the first one. The first one that I've got is not practicing duck calls in the off season. Uh, I think a lot of people get in the duck blind the first day, and I'm not saying it sounds bad, but you can definitely be better if you consistently practice in the off season. Yeah. Yep. I can go with that. And I, I would even eat, I would even add goose calling mm-hmm. to that, to that for sure. Are you a better duck caller or goose caller? Oh, way better duck caller than goose caller. Yeah. If I, I feel like get, that's the that's the status quo, right? <laughs> yeah, if I can get away with not blowing a goose call because someone else is doing a good job, I definitely prefer that. Right, right, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I guess I've actually enjoyed getting better at goose calling, and uh, you know, I have to turn around because the the goose call that I really love, I'm gonna you know, is the life sentence by uh, DRC. So. 
my buddy Thomas from there from uh has worked up there in the summers for him the last two or three years. And so he's the one that kind of uh, got me in that direction with that one. It's it's just a really good goose call. And ever since I started blowing that one, I feel like I've got a lot better. So mm. sometimes it just takes trying and finding um, the right call. Oh, oh yeah. That, one, that one's definitely it. I've been through, I think it's nine or 10 goose calls at this point, trying to find one that, li- that I like. Because I started with a, the flute with the old school flutes and switching over to a short read took me a long time. Yeah. Those flutes, uh, I never could make them sound right anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got some people that, uh, live and live and die by the, the goose flute. So mm. I felt like it was a Michigan thing. I haven't heard about it in a lot of other places. I don't know. We had a lot of people like when I started that use goose flutes, but the short reads are easy, or I shouldn't say easier. The short reads you can make more sound with, in my opinion. Even someone that's really good on a goose flute, I think someone who's decent on a short read, or is is still going to end up being better. Yeah, I'd say the only. Uh, I feel like the only benefit to it is you sound different than mm-hmm. every other goose call that is called that goose in. Maybe not every, you know, but the the large majority of the calls that have called that goose in where mm-hmm. they've got shot at. You know, more goose flutes, right? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'd say the same thing too uh, with duck calls. Over the last three years, I use a cut down for like my majority, my base right. part of my calling, and that's because it's got like that different sound. And I noticed it more when I first used it, but it's still different. Yeah, yep. But. Yeah, I'd say that this is definitely one that uh that I have trouble with every year because I have a goal to be like a really good goose caller. And I just never end up having the time to get like better than like average. And I'd say I'm pretty average. And you know, you, when you hunt with somebody that's like really good and you're like, man, I thought I was like decent. And then here they are just doing every imaginable sequence and notes. And, um, I know your guys, buddy, Bobby up there is pretty good. Oh, yeah. And then like Devin and Derek that I hunt with are also really good. And then my buddy Hunter here is good. And I thought he was really good until like you start hearing some of these other guys that are really good. So yeah, um, there's definitely levels that you can hit, and the only way you're going to hit them is by putting in that time. Yep, yep. And the big tip I have for that is recording yourself calling and then listen back right. to it because it's surprising right. how much different it sounds. And like I even like to record from like twenty or thirty feet away because when the mm. phone's like right on it, sometimes you blow the mic out, or at least right. I do. Yeah. Yep. My, my, I guess my big tip is leave one in your, your vehicle and then you can just blow it whenever you're driving, you know, mm-hmm. uh, get your practice in, especially if you've got long commutes and all that perfect time. And I'll even do the same thing. I'll set my phone in my lap because it's like what you hear in your head and what is actually coming out of it doesn't always line up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Next one I got is um, people not being excited enough. Or discipline, because it can be either one, right? For us, it's probably not like we're like so disciplined that we uh, we get on this duck hunting stuff. It's like, no, <laughs> we're just so excited about it that we don't need discipline. So um, either one, not being excited enough or not being disciplined enough to specifically knock on doors in the off season. And when I've done that, um, it really can open up so many opportunities. Like you get one really good spot added to your uh, – your list like every year you do that like three or four years in a row and man it's going to change your season so i can think back you know um like year by year which spots i've added and it doesn't even have to be like it doesn't have to be like narrowed down to like 
just knocking on doors because that's that's hitting up the private stuff Um, because you can even expand to public and have like the same idea but as far as like the private goes not knocking on doors um because it goes a long way so Mm -hmm. and now i'm trying to think of like well what weekend do i have available before duck season (laughs) (laughs) to get out and knock on some doors because i need to if you just if you add like three spots hunt it through the season maybe one spot's like a really good solid keeper and you know, you kind of move move forward with that. You know, it's a it's a huge win. And yeah. the thing about having hunting spots is, you will lose them as fast as you can gain them. So as soon as you're confident that you have, oh, I have more spots than I can hunt. I'll have just as much as I can manage. Well, the landowner sold it, sold it. Uh, Grandpa turned over the farm to his son. Whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, to his son or his grandson or or another family member. Um, I've lost spots all those ways. Yeah. Um, so as soon as you think you have them. You know, you need to keep keep adding on to that list and try to, like, even expand beyond what you think you need because you can have years that really can blow up a lot of your plans. Yeah, and the addition I have to that is that if you're watching geese go into a field during season, guaranteed someone else has already asked for that, that field. Like, if you're watching geese go into a field, it's too late. Someone's already – pretty much someone's already asked, you know. Right. Or the answer is no. But if you ask yeah. in the off-season when the corn's still green – you'd be surprised how many more yeses you can get and like relationships you can build through that season. Right. Right. Specifically, you know, I got a, a specific story that lines up exactly with that. We had a, a field that was just loaded up with geese in early season silage field. It was cut and um, birds were going in there. You know, I think it's a, a field that birds use um, pretty frequently when it's silage, when it's cut and all that kind of stuff. And I stopped at the farm. I found him. I was so, you know, I'm so happy. I found him. Oh, I got, got his address. I knock up, walk up to the door. He comes to the door. I'm like, yes, we got our chance to ask him. And I'm like, hey, I saw the geese out in your field. And um, I was wondering if we could get permission to hunt him. He's like, sorry, I already gave permission to somebody else. I was like, dang it. Like, did I just miss it? Or like, what? Like, how many people, you know? Yeah. Uh, how many people asked before? He's like, oh, you're probably like number 10. <laughs> so, so I was really, I was way off. But like you said, if you ask early, you know, get those locked in about now, about July, about mm-hmm. August, something like that. And I got it marked on my Onyx, that field, as a reminder to go knock on that that farmer's door. Like you said, the, the corn's still green. It's nowhere mm-hmm. near being cut. Nobody else is going to ask for permission. The only way I won't get it is if the person that he gives permission is the same person every year or it's a family member or something like that. But he made it sound like it was first come first serve. And I was just out of luck because I asked um, way too late in in the game. Yeah. And the other advantage of asking in the summer is uh, you might notice something and earn a little bit sweat equity with certain farmers, you know, depending on what's going on, you might be able to pitch in on a, a hand on something, you know, if they're doing hay or whatever else. And you can't do that in the fall, you know? Right. Right. So. Too busy killing ducks, right? Yeah, yeah. Too busy chasing birds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're up. All right. Uh, the next one I have is expecting to get ammo a week before season. In the preseason, <laughs> as early as you can, be ordering ammo. Because as it comes closer, you'll run out. It'll run out, and you won't find it, and you'll be scrambling. You know, when I first started duck hunting... I literally would like buy ammo like as needed. I would like the night before a hunt, I'd go to Walmart and buy like two boxes. I was like that kind of hunter because, you know, I didn't hunt much. I didn't buy it by case, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and 
it's like the times have changed for sure because um like you go into a Walmart now and there's just nothing, you know. Yeah. The the shelves are are cleaned off. Um you know, especially going through like the COVID air and all that like ever since then it hasn't been the same but before that it's like you could you could just buy them like box by box hunt by hunt and but now it's like they might be sold out you know before season starts so yeah it's definitely something you got to keep track of um and and make sure you got your ammo beforehand that's something i you know you were you were just talking to me about like last week so yeah um, it's it's never it's never too early um, to get the ammo you need and buy, you know, buy it by, by case going with buddies, whatever you got to do, um, you know, and, and get that going. Because one thing is for sure, you definitely can't hunt waterfowl without ammo. <laughs> yeah. And like the other advantage of buying it early is you kind of get the, well, for one, if you watch Rogers, you can get them on sales pretty frequently, you know, they'll run a pretty decent sale. And the other advantage is too, is then you kind of have choice. Like, I went with a different company this year for ammo. I'm trying the Apex stuff this year. But like, uh, if you wait till season, you're going to end up with the $900 a box ammo that no one else can afford, or you're going to end up with junk that like also no one else wants. You know, like you're yeah, going to end up you'll be the guy. You'll, you'll be the guy posting on Facebook. Has anyone heard of this brand? Is it any good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you always yeah. see those posts. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm the kind of guy I like to shoot the same stuff all the time. So I know it patterns, right. You know, down to like, um, the, the ounces down to the shot size, all that kind of stuff. And then once I get what works, I don't want to switch. Oh uh, yeah. See, I switch ammo. Well, I've been switching ammo since Remington kind of went through that buyout deal with the nitro steel. So that's what I used to shoot. And since then, I think I've tried pretty much about everything and apex was new. Well, within the last couple of years got popular last year, I think. And I figured I'd buy a case and try it. Nice. So, Next one I got is not bothering to practice um, your weak, like improve your weaknesses, I should say. Not bothering to improve on your weaknesses. Whether you had like a bad year of shooting, there's shooting drills you can do. Like one of my favorite for shooting, you shoulder your gun and you try to like put it on a point, right? So um, if you're watching live stream, you can see right behind, behind me, we got the corner here. So shoulder your gun as quick as you can, try to put it on that corner. Or like if you have a mount, shoulder your gun. And uh, try to put it right on the head of the bird. I like using the corner because then you can put it on the corner and then, like, follow one of the lines. Put it on the corner and follow one of the other lines. And it's a, a really good drill to do to, like, kind of get that muscle memory going. Um, and this even works, like, during season. If I have a shooting slump, this is a drill I'll do during season. Um, I'll be snapping that gun to my shoulder, you know, pointing it like a you know, pheasant's head on the wall or whatever. And then I'll snap it over the corner and I'll follow it. I'll snap it over there and just do it, you know, 30, 40 times the night before a hunt and um, it really can help you help you pull out of uh, one of those slumps. Yeah. And uh, not a lot of people know this. I actually used to shoot trap competitively. I've shot a lot of rounds through a trap gun. And one of the most important things they talk about there is having like a consistent mount. Cause if your mount on the gun, isn't the same every single time. So like, it's a big deal to be consistent on the mount. And I'd even add into that practicing with a coat. Because how often have you put a coat right. on and your shooting percentage just plummets off the deep end? Because now you got three <laughs> extra inches of padding, you know, and you're catching it on the heel of the gun and everything. Right, definitely. You know, if uh, you know things I've I've noticed too is like specific waders. Like if your wader clip is falling in your shoulder, um, that's that's a big one for me too. So make sure you you, you know everything you're going to wear and where it's going to be. Like sometimes even unsnap that one clip 
if it's in my, my shoulder, then I'm going to be shouldering the gun because that can throw you off, mm-hmm. you know, and the same thing can go for anything, any, any weakness you have during, during season, you know, if uh, you can even expand upon the shooting, like if you are having trouble shooting from a layout, you know, um, get a buddy, shoot some trap from a layout, say pool, sit up out of it, try to get on it. It's, I mean, it's going to be hard, you know, but uh, the only way to improve, um, you know, during a hunt, you may only get three or four chances to, to like figure it out, you know, and if you, if you haven't figured it out in three or four times, that's the end of the hunt. So, or, or you get days where there's a lot of chances, but usually when you have a shooting slump, it's you're going through some of those days that are slower. You don't get a lot of chances and all it takes is just having enough chances to get it right. And then your mind seeing you put it all together and crumple the bird. All of a sudden you're like, you're back in the game because if you're an avid duck hunter, usually you're a decent shot. You know, some of us are better than others. Some of us are worse than others, <laughs> but we're all, we're all good enough that it's like you, you'll have a slump and to pop out of it. It's usually like a mental block. Yeah. So all it takes is seeing that one bird fall and then you, you can't even explain how you're, you're hitting everything, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like practicing mounting a gun is a big deal. Big deal. Definitely. So guess I'm the next one yep. here. Yeah, right, keep so on, let's keep on rolling. I'm going to split this one apart, but the first part of this, and I'm going to listen more postseason, is properly storing gear after season and properly prepping gear once season is done. Like once season is done, making sure the blinds have the brush taken off of them that you know you want the brush taken off of, make sure the stuff's not laying out in the weeds, getting snow on it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yep, that's a that's a good one um, for sure. You know, sometimes you don't have the storage, but like. One thing I was just looking at is my blinds that that I brushed last year, my layout blinds, and I don't have indoor storage for them. It's like, man, if I could have like taken the blinds off and stored them inside, but instead they just sat out since duck season out in the elements. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you got that raffia grass you're putting in there, just like just being dry and in place, it stays nice and full and and brushed in. Now it's like, man, I gotta buy and rebrush everything because it's just sat out there in the elements. So that's a little bit of a um you know, a missight by me, but, um, definitely, you know, uh, everything, you know, uh, put up, taken care of. Yeah. So you don't have needless waste, waste mm-hmm. or have to spend money on stuff that you, you wouldn't have to otherwise. Yeah. Um, and another one like sure. clean, cleaning guns at the end of season, make sure everything's clean before you throw it away and you're not going to see it again for three months. You know, you're going to put it in the back of the safe and not see it again. Make sure it's clean. Uh, and then like, I also add like, as a part of this is go over like broken gear. I don't know about a lot of people, but I end up with a lot of broken gear throughout the season that gets patch job together to get me keep going. And I always go through the broken gear at the end of the season and try to like fix it or buy replacements right away or put it on my list to buy replacements as soon as they come available. Because, you know, like last year I ripped a big hole in a backpack and I had to go through and restitch it closed and do all that kind of stuff. That's all my postseason. Right. Right. That's actually a, we got a repeat there. So that's what I had for sure. That's like something that you, that as duck hunters, we're really, really tough on a lot of our stuff. That's just like the nature of duck hunting, um, that we're tough on our gear, whether it's decoys getting shot, whether it's anchor cords breaking, whether it's, um, your blind brush, like I was just talking about, um, whether, whatever it is, whether your waders have a hole in it, it's like, you don't want to get to, the week before and not have enough time to like go get the things or like go to pack the the boat the night before the, Oh man, I forgot about this. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot. You know, um, 
you know, I forgot I left my canoe in, in the marsh over there and, you know, whatever it is, you know. So, um, yeah, definitely check and, and get that list going mm-hmm. um, before, you know, before season rolls around. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I guess, like, also going on to that is maintenance on stuff, too. Like, I have a big boat with change the oil in it, you know, change the gear loop and their transmission, you know, get the uh, – uh, small engines turn like the carburetor off, drain the uh, fuel out of the carburetor so it doesn't gel out over the winter, like that kind of stuff too. Yeah, sound like you're out. You know, you, you got your uh, decks a lot more in a row than I do on that. So. Well, it's <laughs> it's a lot of like going to the ramp opening morning and then you realize the carburetor's gummed up, so because you didn't bother to start it and just put gas in it, and, oh, it'll be good. But mm. yeah, yeah. So. Definitely, yeah. Definitely not fun when you have motor issues. So no. I've been pretty lucky that I've I've always ran into mine like in the summer, but mm. you know, it'd be even worse during season for sure. Yeah. Yeah, especially like the first week when you're like real, real excited for season to come in and then now you can't go out over something remarkably dumb. Right. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any bad stories no. on remarkably dumb stuff you forgot? Um No. Hmm. I, I know. I don't think so. Hmm. Why do you? Oh man. Like leaving drain plugs out of boats. I think I did that like three times last year, show up to a landing and there's like people there and where we go, there's like pretty high competition for spots. And so you kind of got to race people around. So I show up, no plug in the boat, back it in, park the truck. And I'm halfway across the swamp and realize I'm in ankle deep water. So oh man, I've done that a couple times. And, or just like I said, I've had it before where a spark plug was broke off. Didn't even realize it until I get to the landing. Can't get the motor to start. Mm. Realize spark plugs broke. Who knows how long it's been broke? Right. Yeah, stuff like that. I've had where uh, I've had where ice was in the back of my uh, boat, the very back, mm. and it was pinching it enough that I couldn't get my. It was pinching the the gas lines enough. They were like going through the ice, and you know, ice when or water when it, when it freezes it expands. It pinched off the gas line enough that I couldn't get the motor to go or like would go and shut off because it wasn't getting enough gas. Mm. I couldn't believe that that was enough to like keep me from, from going. So, yeah, because I could actually get it like pumped, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, take the ball in there, get it primed. But yeah. So yeah, small stuff can get you for sure. Yeah. So I think you're the next one. I think I did like three there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so do you have, do you have any buddies that you only talk to during duck season? There's a couple. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely. I feel like there. Every group has people like that, where it's like the duck hunting is the one thing that brings them together. Some people might get annoyed by it. Some people don't care. Some people are are like that's how they like it. <laughs> They're one of those guys. But I would say um, that the next one I have for your off season um, or your preseason mistakes that you don't know you're making. Stay in contact with those buddies. Do your best to like. It doesn't have to be like all the time, but just like. Um, keep a connection or relationship with those guys um, during you know during the off season. You know, be talking about whatever things you got plans for the season, whether it's trips, whether it's whatever. You know, um, like hey, we live you and me on our we live states apart. We still stay in contact. You know, pretty good through season. So I think it just um, you know, hunting is like a weird thing, right? You're building relationships with these with these dudes and your hunting hunting buddies and all that. Um, and I just like, I think it pays dividends to, to keep in contact with the people that you hunt with and, and have like a good, strong relationship. Yeah. And on top of that too, the landowners whose ground that you tend to hunt, 
it's good to be in right. contact with those guys and when they have stuff going on, you know, be around. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And it, it doesn't hurt. You know, we definitely got some um, landowners where um, we, we uh, I mean, it's not like a lease. It's nothing like that. But it's like we renew our permission every year. So you get in contact with them about this time of year again. You know, mm-hmm. um, season is coming quick. So some of them we give gift cards. They don't require it. But it's like, hey, this is like in good faith that they're going to continue letting us hunt. And we're, we're pumped about it. So mm-hmm. I got a handful of those that uh um, that I, that I get out to, to landowners or some landowners have, you know, have given, uh, either like goose or deer summer sausage to in the past. And, and that's another good way to like keep that all rolling for sure. Yeah. That's a good one. Keeping up with the hunting buddies. I can't, I forget about that a lot. Oh yeah. Hmm. I actually think that that my next one was permission on off season slash like uh, so we hit, I hit up yours too yeah yeah because like the uh, the permission on off season like I said like the the relationships with people you know like uh, in our neighbor or our like part of the country here it's a lot of farmers and we still have quite a few family on farms and you know you'll see the guys out at whatever name city days you know city parades that kind of stuff city whatevers and you'd be surprised how many of those guys show up to stuff like that or help put them on. And if you volunteer at stuff, you'd be surprised how, how far that goes with getting permission from people. Definitely. Yep. You got to do everything you can to mm-hmm. put your best foot forward when it comes to being the guy that's able to snag the permission. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how we talked earlier in the podcast, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, having just one good spot added to your repertoire for the season. It's just like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, really good. So. Yeah, definitely can't state that enough. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of looking through my list, uh, you know, the I think the cliche thing to say is, the you know, don't forget to scout. right? <laughs> <laughs> and it go, kind of goes without saying, but I know every year there's places that I want to go to to scout that I don't make it to. So, you know, we all have lives outside of hunting, um, whether we want to admit it or not. You know, we do. We have work. We have families. We have whatever, you know, uh, other um, responsibilities. So it's like, there's only so much time during the day, but, you know, make a list during season of the places you really want to hit up for scouting for the year before, um, and do your best to, to hit them up. Um, you know, the more you can do, the better, mm-hmm. like I said, you can't, you can't, you can't do it all, but yeah. Yeah. The scouting is a big one. And like, uh, I know they talk about this a lot. Uh, I cannot think of his name now. The guy I used to podcast with you. Why can't I think of his name? Oh, Elliot. Elliot. Elliot talks about like keeping up on water levels on like the re- the reservoirs and stuff like that, and like paying attention to going out and scouting it throughout the summer, and like that's a it's a big thing going out checking ve- right. vegetation, checking where stuff's growing. Right. Yep. Yeah, definitely. When you're when you're looking at things like smartweed, you know you got to have the right water depth or any of the you know moist soil vegetation. You know you can have stuff that's laid dormant for eleven years, and then you get the year where it's moist, and then the water. Re, uh, recedes and then all of a sudden you got it growing up and then it comes up back up to normal level. Now you have flooded smartweed in a spot and it's going to make it a hundred times better mm-hmm. um, than a place that doesn't. So out there in Kansas, they do have some really good managed areas with that type of, of growth and 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 all different things going on that yeah. <laughs> I don't think Indiana gets the the benefit of. So for him, it's a a must do in his preseason checking those 
places to see where the duck food is at because he's got ducks feeding in the marsh for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't quite have it around here like that quite as well as they do out there, but it's still going out and checking where stuff's going to be. And, and like around us, our holes change every year. Like our big lily pad flats, where the holes are in the pads are going to be different and getting out and finding where they're at. So you're not searching around on opening morning and making a, you use Onyx or I use like GPS in my boat, setting tracks to places during the summer. So if there's uh, like certain blinds and stuff that are permanent blinds, I have tracks going to them. So when I get to the landing in the morning, I can just, oh, blind 10. We're, now we're on a track going straight there where I'm going to avoid trees and I'm going to avoid the buoys in the river and all that kind of stuff. Definitely. So Awesome. Yeah, to kind of wrap it all up, and I, we kind of joked about it before the – the podcast because I was mentioning to you that one of mine was don't procrastinate, but that's like the whole podcast. Mm-hmm. This whole podcast is like don't procrastinate, and here are the things. But it's like don't pro- procrastinate on projects, don't procrastinate on um, setting up your drawings for like out of state stuff. Like South Dakota has a draw. Um, like a lot of states have blind draws. Um, we do have we have hunt reservations at some of our um, our our managed areas in Indiana, which you know you get one of the first couple picks i believe it it is in indiana um so like it's like don't forget about those kind of things Mm -hmm. um we mentioned ammo another one if you're doing out-of-state trips get on those airbnbs soon so you can pick out the best option um i've definitely uh fallen on the wrong side of that more than once um so yeah don't procrastinate that's that's what it all comes down to um and uh, (laughs) oh i got one more one more here okay go ahead so uh new gear Everybody, I don't know how everybody else is, but I always get new gear over the summer. I always like think about it throughout the season, how I can improve in the off season practice with the new gear. Cause I can't tell you how many times I like buy a different boat or buy a new blind. And the first time I use it is when I'm like in the spot and now you're frustrated cause it's not going together and all that kind of stuff. Right. Just practice with it in off season, you know? Right. Yeah. It could be a frames like, uh, the, uh, final approach sub three man blind. I think it stands for uh, stand up blind, and uh, and the first time I put it together, I think it took like fifteen twenty minutes, just because it's the first time you ever put it together. But after that, it's like three four minutes. It's like mm-hmm. super simple, but like all these pieces, different angles, different connections, and the first time you use it, it's like, well, do I want to be doing this like rushing because we got here late and it's about shooting light, and you have all those other people waiting on you and depending on you to get in the the hide, and here you have never put it together. So yeah, yeah. Definitely. And like, uh, I bought some layout boats over the summer, getting to practice, like using them. The one is a refuge runner. So getting used to like running that I've been putting hours on it, just trying to figure out how to run it efficiently and get it on and off the trailer, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we all see the people that get to the landing and fart around for a half hour trying to get something on and off a trailer. Right. Definitely. Alrighty. So let us know guys. Were these uh, preseason mistakes that you didn't know about? <laughs> preseason mistakes that you didn't know you were making? Uh, I, I, I wagered that at least some of them you didn't think of till we till we mentioned. So, um, but I think this is a good place to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, Hunter, for jumping on with me tonight, and yeah. knocking out a, a podcast. Yep, it's always it's always fun talking ducks. We know we do it. We do it quite a bit now. This time we just uh, push the record button at the same time. So. Um, Alrighty, guys, thanks for joining us for another podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles. Hunter.
from Iowa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or do you want to say your your new channel name? Uh, well, the new channel is Triple Curl Obsession. Uh, there's no videos on it yet, but we're going to be loading stuff this year. So, little plug. Awesome. Awesome. All righty, guys. We'll see you on the next one.